welcome you to Tuesday People, the podcast inspired by Tuesdays with Maury. That was a book I wrote 25 years ago about my visits with my old college professor, Maury Schwartz, and the lessons I learned alongside him as he lay dying from Lou Gehrig's disease. The book became a small little book that wasn't supposed to reach a whole lot of people and then went on and did exactly the opposite. And even to this day, resonates with many people around the world, certainly resonates with me. And I'm happy to sort of relive the class week at a time every Tuesday and some of the lessons I learned alongside my beloved professor and share them with you and myself and my producer and good friend, Lisa Goich, who's with us as always. Lisa, nice to see you. Nice to always see you, Mitch. Always, always, always. You have uh, <laughs> family members, brothers, sisters? Yes. How older many? than I am, though. By, I have one brother who's 14 years older than I am, and I have one sister who's 10 years older. So I'm the baby by far. And I am the middle child, an older sister and a younger brother. In today's podcast, we're going to talk about sibling relations when it comes to tough times. The obvious, the simple, is when things get tough, siblings pull together. Mm -hmm. And you don't really need me or anyone else to say a whole lot about that. If that works out, that's great. Uh, sometimes your brothers, your sisters are the people you can rely on the most in life, and you're going to do so in times of trouble. That doesn't warrant a whole lot of in-depth analysis. You come to each other's aid, and, and uh, it's sort of a, a reality of life. What happens, however, what happens when a family member, a brother or a sister, takes ill has a challenge or a difficult stretch in their life, be it illness or be it a scandal, be it a mm -hmm. personal issue, a divorce or something like that. And your inclination or their inclination is to pull close to you because after all, you're brothers or after all, you're sisters. But the other one's inclination is, ah, 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 ah. I don't really want that right now. What do you do? What's the right amount of love to give? How are you and how can you be a good family member, a loyal family member, when someone in your family is straight-arming you or if you are straight-arming somebody else? This topic came up with Maury and me when we were visiting on Tuesdays. It came up in a multitude of ways. Uh, first, there was his situation with his own brother. He, Maury had only one brother, and they weren't particularly close. I noticed that I came to visit Maury more often than his brother did. Mm. And I asked him about that. I said, was that kind of weird? I mean, you know you're dying. You're certainly welcoming people. Where is your brother? How come he's not here? And, and he said, well, he comes when he can. And I said, how often is that? It's, it wasn't that often. But he said, I'm fine with it. And I asked why that was. And he explained to me a little bit about the history of his time when they were kids with his brother. Listen. My brother was away part of the time because he had polio. Right. And so I didn't have that day-to-day -day interaction with him for th three years or more. And in addition, there was a five-year difference. So that made a big difference. He was away about six to nine and when I was right. 11 to 14. Right. So it was a critical period. Right. And there's a deeper relationship now. 
that I've been ill than there was before, though. How often did you see him before? Maybe once a year, you see, right. yeah. But, but more often now. And uh, we always had a good relationship. But the different levels of depth, that's right. all. So right off the bat, we have to understand that not just because someone is born your sibling or born your uncle or your cousin or whatever other relative it is, that doesn't necessarily make you close. You must know people, Lisa, where you ask, All right, how big is your family? Oh, I come from you know six or seven siblings. Are you close? And some people go, oh, yeah, we're the close. We, we, we do everything together. And other people say, not really. And they rattle right. off, I've got a sister in Pittsburgh and a, and a, and a brother in Seattle. I've got uh, two brothers who live overseas and one who lives in Florida, and we don't talk. And, and, right. and I go, wow, that was like five people you just rattled off, and you're not particularly close to any of them. And then I've met people who are, uh, have one brother or one sister, and they're inseparable. Yeah. It's not, first of all, the first thing to remember here is it's not a given, and there is not a standard that you're trying to live up to of brotherdom or sisterdom, all right? It's different for everybody. And some are going to be close, and some are going to be not so close, and there's not a sin in that. Some people are Mm -hmm. closer to their friends than they are to their siblings. Some people are closer to their spouse's side of the family than they are to their Mm -hmm. own. Marriage often changes that. You know, you might be, uh, your dynamic might be one thing before you're married, and then you get married uh, to someone who's really close to their family, and you end up becoming close to their family too. Sometimes this can cause friction between you and your family because it's like, oh, well, so you're one of them now, and you're not one of us anymore. Hopefully that doesn't happen, but if it does, where you're going to feel it the most is going to be when you have trouble. It's going to be when you get sick. It's going to be when you are down and out or you need money or a business went under or you get divorced or whatever. And you're going to say, well, with that famous line, this is when I need my family, right? Mm-hmm. This is when I need my family to be close to me. And you're going to find out if they are or if they aren't. Now, as I say, there is no standard by which someone has to do anything. So you should get that out of your head right away. If you don't have that particular close standard with your sibling or whatever, then that's what it is. And you can't suddenly expect it to become that way just because you got sick. You see, this is what I think a lot of people figure. Well, we don't have to be close during our lives when we're healthy and everything's okay. But if anything ever happens to you, I'll be right there. You ever ever hear that? You hear that expression? I love that expression. If anything should ever happen to you, I'll be there for you. And I always say, well, how about we do it the other way around? Since if something bad is going to happen to me, uh, and it's really bad, it'll probably take me out, and then that'll be the end of it. It's not much anybody's going to be able to do. But meanwhile, I might have like 40 years before that happens. I'd rather you were part of my life for those 40 years, and then if you want to disappear when it gets really bad, okay, at least I have a lot of 40 years of great memories. But the other way around, like I haven't seen you for 40 years, and now you show up when I'm sick— What does that do? It's a little bit like funerals, I always felt. I mean, the number of people who come to funerals who hadn't had any contact with the person for decades before they died, it seems, I don't want to say hypocritical, but it seems ill-fitting. It's like, well, you can take the time to come to a funeral, which, let's face it, is really for the family more than it is for the Mm -hmm. deceased. And you can find the time to go to a funeral 
But you couldn't find time to go visit that person any time in the last 20 years? Yeah, I agree to that. That's weird, right? Yeah. Okay, so we all feel that our families ought to be different and ought to have to listen to, subscribe to a higher level. And that means when we're sick, they have to be up to that level. I asked Maury about that, though, and I said, you know, don't you feel that when it comes to your brother, you have the right to be expecting of a different level of relationship? And here's what Maury said to that. When you were with your brother, um, don't you find that there's just something about uh, a brother relationship it's just not repeated anywhere else in life. Special. What you're talking about is that those indelible feelings that have been impressed on you by virtue of you growing up together, which is very unique. You had no with nobody else. That's why it's so special in that regard. And what you're dealing with is a continuing part of that loss. You no longer have it. When you get it renewed for a while, it feels great. But you know, it has to stop. And renewed, to stop renewed, you have to give up things. You have to accept the fact that things will leave. You have to accept the fact that things will leave. This is the dilemma facing many people who had close friendships, close sibling friendships with their brother or their sister growing up, but maybe aren't as close anymore. And then when something bad happens, they have to deal with the dynamic of what is the right balance. So in Maury's case, Maury was very adamant about not making people feel that his problems, or in his case, his terminal illness, was cause for somebody else to have to change their life. Maury was very, very sensitive to the fact that he would say it often, I don't want this disease to destroy two lives. I don't want this to take down somebody else because of what I'm having to do. And I, I thought that... I understand that. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah, it's very, it was very generous. Either. Yeah, it was very yeah, generous. I, I, because, you know, people have their lives and they have to go on and do what they do every day. I, I don't think if I was in a bad situation, I would want somebody to have to drop everything, which is why, just a quick aside, you know, I was just in the hospital for nine days. Right. And because of COVID, nobody could come visit me. A, I was perfectly fine with that in the sense that really I didn't want anybody there. I wasn't looking so great. I wasn't feeling so great. Right. And it right. was nice to just be able to heal. And two, I wouldn't have wanted to expect especially my husband to come sit by my bedside every day for hours on end when I'd rather him be home tending to the house, the dogs, our life, do whatever he needs to do, work, whatever. You right. know, it's a hard it's a hard thing. If you're being cared for, I'm all good with people just go do your life. Just well, you, email you me share, every so often and say yeah, hi. You shared that with Maury. <laughs> I don't know about the email part, but you shared that with Maury. <laughs> Uh, because he was very sensitive about his illness not changing somebody else's life pattern significantly. Here he is. I want to disrupt as little as possible, 
because I don't think the disease should have that kind of power. I have to suffer it. But it doesn't have to room. Like I can say to Rob, I really want you to come home now for this year because I'm dying. And he'd have a big struggle about that. I would never say that. He knows I want to see him. So he comes home every six weeks now. That's pretty good. He stayed a month the last time. Stayed two weeks this time. He has to carry on his life. So with Sean, so with John, so on. So different people have different ways of working it out. I'm not saying that my way is necessarily the best way for everybody, but that's the way I would want it. In there, he's referring to his son, Rob, his son, John, and his wife, Charlotte. And Rob at the time was living overseas. And Maury had no struggle with not saying to Rob, you need to come home and you need to be here. I think Rob might have had more of a struggle with it internally, but his dad was always saying, don't, 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 because his life was in Japan. And are you going to now uproot your entire life, come sit here and then watch me slowly wither away? I don't want that. Now I feel like I have affected you. And that to me is, is a great display of generosity of spirit and selflessness Mm -hmm. to be able to say, I I don't want you to spend every minute with me here. And so sometimes Mm -hmm. when your sibling, and this is important to understand, sometimes when your sibling or your loved one says to you, I don't want you here all that time, don't take it as a rejection. It might be exactly what Maury was saying. I don't want your life disrupted as a result of what I'm having to go through. That does not make me feel better. If you go and visit somebody who is sick and the whole time your phone is ringing and they're saying, when are you coming home? And we need you here. And the kids are there. And and the person you're visiting sees this. They don't feel particularly good that you're hanging out with them if they care about you they're like man i'm messing this person's life up go 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 already yeah and i think it causes a little guilt too like i think if i if i had somebody that was just sitting and hanging around with me all day inside i'd be very uneasy about that because i'd be like you have things to do go right right away right exactly now that's one dynamic that we're talking about with your loved ones that is when they don't want you there full-time because they're being magnanimous, they're being generous in spirit, they're being loving, they're being uh, kind to you and saying, listen, you don't have to. And you should accept that. If that's how they really honestly feel and they don't want you to disrupt things and they, and they really don't need you to be there every single minute like that, you should accept that. You should accept that. Now, that's one example. What about the example where somebody, you know they could use the help, you know in the past they liked talking to you or they liked talking to someone or whatever, but they just don't want you around right now. I've had to deal with this Hmm. in my own family, Mm -hmm. with members of my own family, where no matter what, and no matter how loving the the reach out was, uh, the message that came back was, just please leave me alone. Not screw off, leave me alone. Just right. <laughs> please leave me alone. I, I, I just don't want to talk to anybody right now. I, I just don't feel uh, like uh-huh. seeing anybody right now. I just, I don't want you to come by. Don't come by. 
it's very yeah. hard as a brother or sister, as a friend, uh, as a relative, to be told, don't come by. It hits you mm-hmm. like like someone threw something at you, right? It hurts. Yeah. It hurts, and you're being told, you're ingesting it as, I guess I don't matter that much, or I guess uh, my comfort is not as comforting as I thought it was. And, and that, that's, but that's a very myopic way of looking at it. You're looking at your shortcomings. I, I should be a better nurse. I should be more like, you know, uh, right. uh, Clara Barton. I, you know, what am I doing wrong? <laughs> you're not, maybe you're not necessarily doing anything wrong. Let's listen to Maury here and then and, and, and about what he said about this, because I brought this up to him about how do you negotiate this with a family member, and this is what he said. Uh, Mitch, you have to spend the time each of you agrees together is the right amount of time. You can't be with him every day because he's there and you're here. You've got a life. I tell everybody, you've got to carry on your life the way you want to carry it on. And, of course, make room for me and for each other. But after you've done that, to some degree, you've got to go on living. I won't suggest you turn your life upside down. It's just not fair to take over. So, again, you heard him say you've got to spend the right amount of time. The right amount of time is not a preordained amount of time. It doesn't always mean every single available minute. And people who have loved ones who are sick, loved ones who have terminal illnesses, loved ones who have been have been struggling with cancer, struggling with ALS, struggling with any of these diseases that it's just so, so difficult for them to do, they do not want you to feel like every minute that you are not there with them, you are letting them down. Mm-hmm. That's not true. That's not true. Most people who have become accepting of terminal illnesses, as terrible as it is that they're afflicted with it, also accept that the world continues on. And there was a stretch for them, if they're being honest, when they were healthy, that the world was continuing on with them being healthy. And they didn't spend every single minute of their life in a hospital holding somebody's right. hand. Uh, Mother Teresa may have done that, but there are very few examples of people <laughs> elsewhere in the world who have. So they don't necessarily want you to be spending every single minute of your of your existence sitting along their bedside. Stop feeling guilty that you're not doing it. Right. And sometimes they just plain don't want anybody there. You know, I mean, I had a neighbor who died from cancer and was diagnosed fairly late at least we found out about it extremely late, literally a week and a half before she died. And the day that we found out uh, from another neighbor, I wanted to visit her that week. It was She put the kibosh on everything. No visitors, no nothing. I don't want to see anybody. I don't want to talk about it. I took it bad. You know what I mean? Like, what do you mean you don't want to see me? You, you know what I mean? Like, I got a little defensive about it. Hmm. And that's not a good thing. Thing to do, you really have to think about the person who's dying. And if they don't want to see anybody, it's not you personally. They just, they need to be in their own head. They need to be in their own space. And right. it took me a really long time to get past that, you know, because I took it very personally. 
and she ended up dying a week and a half later and I never saw her, hmm. you know, and then you don't get that closure. Sometimes too, I think the patient though might want to at least let the person talk to them or something so that they, that person has some closure. Let them get all their stuff out to say, you know, right. I'm so sorry this is happening. I love you. I've loved you. Right. Whatever. And what you're describing there, Lisa, that sort of tension of opposites that we have talked about many times over with Maury brought up, that life is just a series of tension of opposites, yings and yangs pulling. What you what you just said there is very important because one side wants to do something for maybe the good reasons. The other side mm -hmm. doesn't want it done, maybe for good reasons. Both sides need to understand one another. And yes, sometimes there is also the onus on the sick person or on the suffering person to, despite their illness, despite their situation, despite their suffering, take a minute and allow other people to commiserate with them, comfort them in a way that makes the other person feel okay. Yeah. You don't have to do it forever, but you don't have to. It's just a little bit like, at, again, at a funeral. If you are the bereaved, if you lost a family member, what do people do? Even though at that moment, it's highly possible that they really just want to be left alone. Mm-hmm mourn their loved one, their father, their mother who died, whoever it is. They just want to be left alone with those thoughts. The exact opposite happens. A church mm -hmm. or a funeral parlor or whatever is full of people. And right. what do they want to do after the service is over? They want to come and express their condolences to yeah. the family. And that line... Yeah, that line that you stand on, we've all done it. <laughs> if you've horrible. reached a certain age and you have a, a close-knit family, you've done it. You've stood on that line. Yeah. And everyone, I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm so sorry for your loss. I'm sorry for your loss. I'm very sorry for your loss. Very sorry. Yeah, and then sometimes you hear even those silly things like, uh, well, at least you got to keep yours for as many years. I lost mine when right, I was, I you know. <laughs> those, those kinds of comments that just make you want to wring your hands or wring something else. And right. You have to put up with it because there's a sort of expected, like, all right, this is the time for others to show their caring about me and their affection for me and our family, and we have to be polite about it. So as right. Maury points out, it's not like you can look this up in a book and see the percentages. He was very wise when he shared this message with me. There's no formula, Mitch. It has to be what we call negotiated in loving ways not like negotiate a business transaction but how you negotiate a tender relationship with concern for both parties what they want and what they need and what they can do and what their life is like and so on now that kind of thinking again it's not ordinary because people, when they negotiate, they want to win rather than find the best solution for both. My, one of my favorite psychiatrists, Harry Stack Sullivan, defined love as that situation in which you're as much concerned about the needs of the other person as you are about your own. That's a damn good definition. It is a good definition, and it is a good 
fulcrum to sort of balance these emotions that you have when someone in your family is not doing well or sick, what you want to do for them and what they want from you. It is a negotiated relationship and you need Mm -hmm. to find the common ground. And it is best summed up by meeting them where they want to be met. Meeting them where Mm -hmm. they want to be met. Not meeting them where you want to meet them. Not meeting them where I'll come by every day and I'll bring you chicken soup and we'll sit and we'll talk about, well, that's your saying what you want to do. Now, maybe they say, oh my gosh, that would be great. Would you do that? I would love that. And now you've suggested something that they want. But if they don't say that, if they say, I I, I really, you don't have to come every night, you should not force yourself and say, no, I'm going to be here every night. You're you're not being noble if they really don't want you there that way. You're, You're being intrusive to a certain degree. Because as you said, Lisa, sometimes people need headspace to just be by themselves. And you know, I, I love you, but I, I don't want you to be here every minute because I've got to deal with what I'm dealing with myself. Remember, mm-hmm. it's not just about, see, the mistake that many of us make when we're, we have a sick loved one or someone who's suffering is that we think that we are the chicken soup for the soul. We are the chicken soup yeah. that we're going to come over and we're going to fix everything. And not everything is fixed by a visit from someone else. Sometimes that can actually make somebody feel worse because they're reminded of what they're going to lose or what they're or what they're missing in life. I always said to Maury, is there please tell me if ever, you know, my coming in here every Tuesday and I was 37 years old, you know, perfectly healthy, walking in carrying a big shoulder bag and coming in with a coat and plopping down and racing in and out and and I often wondered does Maury just sitting here in this chair, does he ever look at me and say, I wish I could walk in and out just like that. I wish I could yeah. pop up or carry something. Whatever. And it occurred to me, like, maybe I'm not helping matters by coming in here all this time. Maybe, Maury, there are times where Maury doesn't want to be around healthy, able-bodied people because it's, it's, it's hurtful. Now, to his credit, he, he, he denied that and he said, no, of course not. I don't care. I'm happy that you're healthy. I, I don't want you not to be healthy for me. But you do have to think about those kinds of things. So it is a negotiated relationship. And the negotiation has to be open on both ends. And if, you're, if your brother, your sister, your relative, you, you know, your dear friend, just says, listen, just could I, I need a few days to myself. Don't take that personally. You're not helping by taking it personally. If you want to help, meet them where they want to be met. And if they say, come by once a week and just sit with me and talk with me and that's it, meet them where they want to be met. Respect them mm-hmm. for their word. Show respect when they are in a difficult situation and not take the position that I know what's best for you. You just lie oh, there and yeah. let, let me administer this. Let me administer my love for you. Just lie there. Yeah. That's a whole nother show right there, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. We could do a whole hour on, uh, on, on that sort of thing, you know? Well, and when it comes to, and maybe we will, but when it comes to people who are suffering in your family, again, be it an illness or a setback, there is no formula for what's right. There is no set amount of hours, minimum hours, that if you're close brothers, you have to spend with each other. Minimum hours, if you're sisterly, 
that you have to spend if you don't, you're not being a good sister. And anyone who starts doing comparison things, anyone who says to you, when my sister was sick with breast cancer, I moved into her house and I just lived there for four months. And, uh, you know, I just had to be there because I love her so much. If they're doing it in like a competitive way, mm-hmm. like, and what are you doing for your sister? You should not take the bait. Right. You should not, you know, every relationship is different. It might very well be that if you moved into your sister's house for four months, she'd kill you before <laughs> before cancer <laughs> killed her. So we have to allow for the differences. And mm-hmm. it is it is all in the subtleties, as Maury summed up for me when we finished our discussion about this. They change the equation, so to speak, because of the nature of the illness. So it's obvious I can't go to you. You have to come to me. That's a simple little example of it. It's obvious that I can't sort of invite you out to dinner when you come. So there are all kinds of things like that. But on the relationship level, you have to work it out so that, for example, I try not to make demands on people that I feel be very difficult for them to fulfill. Now, I'm fortunate I have a lot of help, so they can do you know, the physical things. But I, like, I don't ask people to drive me around if I have to go out. But I do want people to come and visit. But I want them to come and visit at a time that I can visit with them. So when I'm exhausted, people understand even though they're very eager to come, they realize that if it's not good, they should hold off. Because they're not only visiting for themselves, they're visiting for me, for my comfort and my sort of gratification. And I think there's where Maury sums it up the best. He basically says that this is a two-party transaction. You're visiting for yourself, but you're also visiting for me, for my comfort and my gratification. And in any two-party transaction, it has to be fair for both sides. And it's not always 50-50 that makes it fair. It has to be what each one can live with. So to sum this up, first of all, not every brother and sister are as close as every other brother and sister. Not every tragedy or illness is going to be met with the same amount of compassion and time as another. And that doesn't mean that you didn't or don't love your brother or love your sister. Thirdly, everyone has to deal with these issues in their own way relative to the relationship that they had. So in Maury's case with his brother, his brother went from coming once a year to coming maybe two times a year or three times a year. Um, That's a lot. His son went from coming to visit once every six months to coming in every six weeks. That was a lot, but it wasn't every day. And Maury didn't want it to be every day. And he didn't demand that someone else sacrifice their life to the same degree that he was having to change an altar and sacrifice his own. Mm. And that, as we learned, is a very, is a very uh, cherished definition of love. When you're as concerned about the needs of the other person as you are about your own, that works both ways. So we can see there's not a formula for what to deal with and how to deal with 
a brother or a sister who's in some kind of trouble. And you do it as it makes sense to your relationship, meeting them where they want to be met. And in many cases, that might not be satisfying, but that may be all you can do and accept it. Don't berate yourself and don't torture yourself over. Don't say, I'm not being a good sister or brother. Say, yeah, I'm being as good a sister or brother as my sister or brother will allow me to be and wants me to be and accept that as part of the equation between family members. It is a way of showing love. We will talk more about brothers in some episodes to come, and uh, perhaps we'll explore that whole idea, Lisa, that you wanted to in a a (laughs) full-out, blown-out way uh, in a future show. In the interim, you can find out more about our programs and previous podcasts by going to wetuesdaypeople.com on the web, wetuesdaypeople.com. And you can always leave some messages for us there and social messages, and you can get in discussion groups with other people on previous shows. You can find all the archives of previous shows. And you can. the nice thing about our shows is that they're fairly timeless. You could listen to one from three months ago, and it would make sense if it was recorded today. Still right? understand it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're, not, we're not basing everything on the news. Uh, so it's a pleasant. Please feel free to t- tell your friends about this podcast, which they can get wherever they get any popular podcast. And uh, until we see you again, on behalf of Lisa Goitsch, my friend and producer of Tuesday People, this is Mitch Album saying we will talk to you next Tuesday. Thank you for listening to Tuesday People. To be part of our conversation, join the Tuesday People community at wetuesdaypeople.com. Subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss an episode and share it with your friends. We look forward to having you with us every Tuesday because, after all, we're Tuesday people.